said we are continuing our sermon series in um, the I am the I am sermon series as Stephen had mentioned um, we are continuing our sermon series in um, the I am going through the book of John um, talking about I am the um, if you were reminded if you remember, um, Jesus Christ says, I am several times, right? He says, I am several times, referring to different things, different aspects about who he is. Um, and we remember the first sermon that we preached. Um, it was found in Exodus where um, God says, I am who I am. Um, and so Jesus Christ is doing that throughout the book of John. Today is the fifth I am um, statement that Jesus says. And so if you will turn with me to the book of John, John chapter 11, John uh, chapter 11. We're going to skip a few passages here and there, but uh, basically we're reading... Um, from verses 1 through 44, and we're going to skip a few verses. Before I begin, I want to say um, it was about eight days after giving birth to my youngest brother when my mom had passed away from uh, brain aneurysm. Um, and as far as I could remember, that was one of my earliest years of going to a funeral. That was the first time that I, I, at least in terms of what I could remember, going to a funeral and actually seeing someone who you already knew before. You already seen them um, growing up, and then all of a sudden you realize, wow, they're not talking back to you. Wow, they are just there. And um, unfortunately, that was definitely not the last time I've been to a funeral. I've been to um, several other funerals. Um, a lot of family members, um, friends um, have passed away. And many times what I realized is that many people will try to offer condolences to you. They try to tell you um, where that person is, that they're in a better place, and all of these different things. But what we do realize, biblically, is that no one really has the right to say that, right? The only one who can say that, or we can only have um, that confidence when we know that that person has been a believer. Um, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about today um, in John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, we realize that the basis upon which we have this eternal life, the basis upon which you and I will rise again, is the fact that Jesus Christ himself is the resurrection and he is the life. So let's turn with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. I'm going to make a few commentaries um, as we go through. I'm going to just read the first 16 verses for now, and then we'll, we'll pick, up, pick it up again. Now a man was sick, 
Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent message to him, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, the sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples said, just now the, the, the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going there again? Aren't there 12 hours in the day, Jesus answered. If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. He said this, and then he told, he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, um, he'll get well. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought that he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Then Thomas, called the twin, said to his disciples, let's go too so that we may die with him also. Here in this passage, um, we're going to stop here real quick. Um, so far, what we find in this passage, the story begins, Jesus is told that his friend is sick, right? Jesus doesn't, and when he's told that his friend is sick, I don't know if you notice in the passage, but it doesn't seem like he's alarmed. It doesn't seem like he's um, nervous or anything like that. It just sa simply says, um, when they came up to him and they told him that the one, in who, the one that you love is sick, when he heard it, he says simply, the sickness will not end in death, but it's for the glory of God. Now, I mean, for you and I, if we hear that someone, one of our friends, one of our loved ones is sick, we get all panicky, we get all, all shaken up, we get afraid, and we want to we run to the hospital. We want to make sure that they're okay. We want to make sure that they're not going to die. But Jesus, he encourages them by telling them, look, it's not going to end in death. I mean, if you know the story of Lazarus, we know that he ends up dying. And then we'll, we'll get to that. Why is it that Jesus Christ says that it will not end in death? But that's what Jesus says. He says, it will not end in death. This sickness will not end in death. But it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified in it. Uh, one of the things, one of the key aspects in, in terms of reading the Word, reading the Bible, is understanding that God lives for God. God lives for His glory, right? We understand that we are, and this is why we were created. We were created to make God, to glorify God, to make Him known. And Jesus was excited. Why was Jesus excited about this death? That's what was about to happen. He was excited because it was going to be an opportunity for God to be glorified. So, right now we get some background information of who Lazarus was. It says a man 
going back to verse 1. It says, A man sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. If you know um, from reading through scriptures, you'll understand that this incident where Mary actually wipes Jesus' feet with her hair, it's going to happen later on, much later in um, the book of John. And so then the reason the author anticipates that we had already known this story, maybe from other gospels, maybe from um, the early readers, they had already known the story. But Jesus already wants them to know that this was the Lazarus that they were talking about. So the sisters, um, and so the sisters, they, they go ahead and they tell him that he's sick, and then Jesus responds in the way that we said that he responds. Now, Jesus is seeing the bigger picture here. Death is not the ending of a story. There is a greater, there is a greater story. There's something greater that's going to happen in terms of what's going to happen with Lazarus. There is something greater that will happen to Lazarus that, that, that is much better than him even um, dying. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed, the Bible said it's that he stayed two more days in the place where he was. He loved them so much, it says. Jesus loved Lazarus, right? He loved Lazarus, and it says that he ends up staying two more days. Now that seems weird, right? It says Jesus loved Lazarus so much that he ends up staying two more days where he was at before he actually goes on his journey. Why is that? Why couldn't he go immediately? Well, we'll get to that in just a minute. Verse 7, it says, Then after that he said to his disciples, Let's go to Judea. Rabbi, the disciples told him, Just now, um, you know, they were trying to stone you. And then Jesus exclaims, There are 12 hours in a day, which um, is something that we're about to get into in a minute. So, I can't help but to think that as we're looking at this passage, we are reminded that death does not have the final say. Death does not have the final word in the Christian's life. Jesus Christ does. Okay, so Jesus Christ is explaining, look, when Jesus Christ says death does not have the final word, then it means that for us as well as Christians. Jesus is going back, interestingly, Jesus is going back to the place that he was, he where the, where the Jewish people were about to stone him. He was in danger. If you read chapter 10, verse 30, I'm not, it's not up here, but if you read chapter 10, verse 30, I'll just read it out loud for you. It says, chapter 30 and 31, it says, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And it says, again, the Jews picked up the rocks to stone him. Jesus replied, I've shown you many works. Which one are you going to stone me for? And they say, they say you, you're, we're about to stone you because of blasphemy. So Jesus, now he leaves this place, right? He leaves this place. He leaves them because they're about to kill him. They're about to stone him. And now he's about to go back to the very same place where they were about to kill him. And now his disciples are getting afraid. They're like, Jesus, why are we going back? Because this is the same place that they were about to kill you. And so what we understand from this is that Jesus, humanly speaking, Jesus is going to risk his life. He's going to give up his life so that he can, so that he can bless another person, so that other, another person can have life. 
This is why Jesus was going. And so Jesus says, let's go back. And the disciples were kind of like, I'm not sure why we're going back. But verse 17, verse 17, it says, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, that's going to be very important. Just highlight that real quick, and we'll get back to that in just a minute. Verse 18, it says, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brothers would have, wouldn't have died. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die again, ever. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into this world. So Jesus reaches Bethany, and by now it has been four days. It's been four days since Lazarus has died. Now, the four days might be insignificant to you as a modern reader, but the original readers would have understood something different. You see, in Jewish tradition, um, for you, in Jewish tradition, basically, um, when one dies, right, it takes three days, they would say. It would be three days where the spirit is hovering over the body, and perhaps there might be a chance that the person might come back to life again. And so Jesus didn't want to have anything to do with that tradition. Jesus wanted them to know that if this person is going to wake up from the dead, that it was going to be him and him alone. It's not going to be, the, the people are not going to say, oh, yeah, it was because the spirit was hovering over the body or any such thing. This, not, you see, not that the spirit superstition was true, but Jesus wanted them to attribute the resurrection of Lazarus to nothing else but the power of Christ. Perhaps this was why Jesus waited to actually come to Bethany. Now, the passage tells us that there were quite a few Jews there. It seems like many of them came from Jerusalem. There was some tension, again, that we had talked about earlier. There was some tension between the Jewish, the Jews and Jesus Christ. But it seems like the primary aim of the Jewish people right now is just to comfort the, um, the sisters. Now, when Martha hears that Jesus was there, she runs out of her house. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. See, Martha is expressing faith in her grief. She knows that, the fir that first, that if, that if Jesus was there first, if Jesus was there he would not have died. Her brother would not have died. She understands that. And she says, but even now, whatever you ask, the Father, he will give it to you. I don't know if she's, what she means by that. I don't believe, just through reading commentaries and everything, I don't believe that it is, um, she's saying that 
I believe that you can raise him up again. And we'll see that in the next few verses that she doesn't really believe that Jesus is going to do that. So she just says, look, I know that whatever you ask from God, during this time of grief, God will give it to you. See, let's see the following verses after telling Jesus that. Verse 23, it says, Jesus says, responds by saying, your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Verse 24, Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. But Jesus wants Martha to know that the resurrection is not just merely something that happens on a particular day. Jesus himself is the resurrection. There is no resurrection apart from him. If you do not have Christ, you do not have resurrection. So this is it. This is the fifth I am statement where Jesus Christ now says, I am the resurrection and the life. He is not merely in the business of raising people from the death. He is himself the embodiment of the resurrection. Martha was thinking future. Jesus was thinking present. I am the resurrection and the life. Do not look forward to some day that bodies will raise. I am exactly what you need. I am exactly what you are looking forward to. The one who believes in me, even when he dies, will live. You see, Jesus is not denying the reality of death, but even if believers die, they still will live. Immediately, immediately when Christians die, they are ushered into the presence of God. Death is not death for the Christian. Death is life for the Christian. Now this is not for everyone though. This is not for everyone. Jesus qualified it. He says everyone who believes, the one who believes in me, Jesus, the one who believes in me, not everyone, but the one who believes in me, he is the one that has the res- that he is the one that will not die. So it's not the person who does enough good works. It's the one who believes in Jesus Christ. See, many people in this world, they love to say these three letters, RIP, right? If anyone and everyone passed away in their family member or their friends, whether they knew Christ or not, they want to say, rest in peace, RIP. And sometimes the basis upon which people say such a thing was that they were such a good person on earth. Well, excuse me if I don't believe you, but I'll side with Jesus Christ on this one. It's only the one who believes in Jesus Christ. It's only the one who believes and places their faith in Jesus Christ. Those are the ones that will not experience death, but they'll experience life. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. The one, again, so it'll be like he's saying the one who lives or the one who has eternal life or full life is the same person who believes in him. Those, those are two of the same people. And it's the same person that will not die. Earlier, Jesus said, when you die, you will live. Now he is saying that you will never die. Both are true. 
You will physically die, but it really isn't death for you. You are only going from this body to spend an eternity with the Lord. But notice I've only spoken about eternal life and being in heaven when you die, but I haven't spoken about the resurrection as of yet. So let's skip to verse 38 real quick. Let's skip to verse 38. It says, Then Jesus, angry in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, he already stinks. It's been four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen stripes, with linen strips, and with his face wrapped in cloth. Jesus said to them, loosen him and let him go. See, Jesus in the passage earlier says that it begins and it says that he was filled with anger. He was angry. I don't know if filled with anger, but he was angry. So he was filled with a lot of emotion in this passage. He was both angry and then we'll see later on that he that we'll see that he weeps in the passage as well. It's hard to determine the cause of such emotions. Likely it is due to the unbelief that he is surrounded by from in the scene from some of the people, or it could be that he's broken because of the fallenness of this world. He's just reminded of the fallenness of this world and the fact that death is such a real thing. Jesus prays, though. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you, have, you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so they may believe you sent me. Jesus prayed in a way to benefit his hearers, to benefit the crowd. And he didn't even just pray, Father, wake up Lazarus from the dead. It is assumed from this passage that Jesus had already been in communion with the Father regarding this event already. He already knew the Father's will regarding this event. In fact, once Lazarus died, Jesus knew that it had happened to the glory of God. So he prayed for the benefit of the crowd. Then he shouts with a loud voice, a loud command, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth, Jesus said to them, loosen him up and let him go. Jesus calls out his name, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus hears his voice and he rises from the dead. This is one of the greatest miracles so far that Jesus has done in the story. Now remember the goal. The goal is to glorify God. The goal is to validate Jesus Christ as the true Messiah. The crowd should now have no doubt that Jesus is the one who he says he is. The point, this points to the fact that Jesus truly is the resurrection and the life. And this is a prelude, basically. This is a prelude of what Jesus Christ is going to do later on. When Jesus Christ calls out all the believers, he calls us out when we are in our tombs, when we are in our graves. 
And he says, come out, come forth. Somehow, somehow, our bones are going to get come back together. Our bodies are going to come back, and we're going to come back to life again. And we are going to be, as the Bible says, we're going to be in a glorified state, in a new body. And so Jesus Christ doing that, calling Lazarus, it's a prelude. It's something that is going to happen later on for us as believers as well. The resurrection, Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. I just want to point to this reality. What does it mean that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? What does that mean for us as Christians, as believers? What does it mean for you if you are not a Christian? It has a twofold meaning for you if you are a Christian. If you are a Christian, you have already experienced the resurrection in that spiritually you were brought from death to life. Spiritually, we were brought from death to life. If you read with me in Colossians chapter 3, I don't have it up there, but Colossians 3 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And then he'll go on and explain, put to death sexual immorality and all these different things. If you are a Christian, the Bible teaches that you have already been raised with Jesus Christ. And many people we, we will gloss over these things, we'll gloss over these truths. Again, we talked about the indicatives and the imperatives. We'll gloss over these truths like, okay, fine, we're, we've been raised with Christ. But it has major implications for us as believers. If then, Paul says, you have been raised with Christ, if that is true, then this is true. If that is true, then you should seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Are you seeking things that are of temporal value or are you seeking things that are of eternal value? Think about that. Ask yourself that question. Because if you have been raised with Christ, if you truly have been raised with Christ, then you do, you have an eternal wealth to look forward to. And you are only limiting yourself if you are only seeking the temporal goods of this world. You follow? So if you have then been raised up with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. But then in Colossians, he does something else. He says, therefore, therefore, put to death what is earthly in you. If you have been raised with Christ, you can put to death the earthly things that are in you. We have, as believers, we have much more power than we believe to overcome temptation than we think we do. As Christians, we have been raised with Christ. As Christians, we have crucified the old self. The old has been, the old is gone. I think many times we believe that we are the same old person and yet we are enslaved to the same old sins because we have the same old mindset. But friends, we are new creatures. We have been raised with Christ. We are not what we used to be. And I, I'm saying this personally. The minute that I've been experiencing 
such victories in my life was when I started believing I am not who I once was. I have been raised with Jesus Christ. These things have real practical application. You should really try to meditate upon the fact that you are not the same person, that you are a new creation. And so the implications of Jesus Christ being the resurrection, the implication is that now you are experiencing the resurrection. Today, you are experiencing the resurrection. It's not something just merely to look for in the future. Right now, we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Right now, we have been raised with Jesus Christ. Ephesians says the same thing. It says it a ton of times in the Bible. If you read your Bibles, hopefully now as you read your Bibles, you'll see that more and more, in, especially in the New Testament, especially in the, um, in the letters and the epistles. You'll read and it'll say, you have been raised with Christ. That our old self was crucified. And the reason why is because that is true. With the resurrection, because of the resurrection, you and I have a new life. You and I get to experience a freedom that we didn't experience before. We were once slaves, the Bible says, to the passions of our flesh, but now we have been, we, we are free. Okay, so um, it has present temporal implications but it also has future implications. We, um, scope, we talked about that earlier. The future implications for us as Christians is that one day you and I will be with the Lord. One day Jesus Christ is going to raise us up from the dead. Right? Jesus is going to raise us up from the dead. If we just pause real quick right now, just not too long after the story, this is when the Jews started plotting against Jesus Christ. So Jesus goes... And it's, 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 a, it's ironic, right? He goes to raise somebody from the dead. Many people believe, but some people, they saw the miracle as a threat. Like, wow, now people are going to start knowing about this guy, Jesus. Let's, let's, we got to put him to death. All right? So Jesus saves Lazarus. Jesus, Jesus, Lazarus raises from the dead. And because of that, Jesus himself is going to be put to death. It's like a switch. It's like what Jesus does to us, right? He dies for us. He dies for our sins. And so Jesus is about to give up his life for us. And so when Jesus Christ rises from the dead, the Bible says that he is the first fruit of what's to come. Soon, soon, when we pass away, we too will be raised with Jesus Christ. We too will be raised to a resurrection whereby our bodies will be different whereby our bodies, we will have a glorified bodies where our bodies will not be subjected to the same temptations that our bodies are subjected to temptations today, where our bodies will not be subjected to the same illnesses that our bodies are subjected to today. And so this is a hope that we as Christians have. So it has future implications. So what does that mean for you? What does that mean for us? It means this, that for those of us who are suffering, those of us who are going through situations where we're like, I don't see an ending to this. I feel like I'm always suffering. I feel like I, I don't understand why is it that God, what's the purpose of God having this thing in my life? What's this purpose in my life? I don't understand it. And friends, you might not never understand it. Maybe the pain will never leave you. Maybe your suffering will never end. 
from now until the day you die. But that's not your hope. We do not rely on this in this present earth. We do not rely on this in this temporal world. Our hope is that one day we will be in our resurrected bodies. We will be with our Lord forever and we will see, we will see the reason why we would have gone through all the things that we have gone through. The Bible says that all things work together for those who love God. There's nothing in our lives right now that is going to waste. Everything is building you up spiritually and that is the most important thing. So that has much implications for you if you are suffering. And for those of you who are placing too much value in this world, it has implications for you as well. If you place too much value in this world, if you place too much value on the things of the now and the things here today, and you're not living for the, for the future, you're not living for, for eternity, I want you to reshape your thinking and remember that, that one day we are going to die and that there is an eternal reward to look forward to. There is a resurrected body to look forward to. And wouldn't it be great on that day to say, I have lived for the glory of God when I was on earth. And so it has uh, future implications as well. But it also has, um, I also want to be reminded of those who are not Christians, those who are not Christians. Um, I don't know if that's anybody here in, this, in our midst today, but it does have implications for those who are unbelievers. The Bible does teach as well that unbelievers will be raised back up to life again, okay? So if, in case you're confused, unbelievers will be raised back up to life, but Revelation says that they will experience the second death, okay? They're, they died the first time physically, and they will die the second time spiritually where they will experience God's wrath forever and ever and ever and ever. And so if perhaps you are here today and you have not yet placed that faith in Jesus Christ, then I would encourage you to be reminded that this is the only way in which you have heaven, the only way in which you experience the resurrection and the life, the only way in which you will be raised to life and experience this glorified body is through trusting and believing in Jesus Christ. This is the only way. There is no other option. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And so, my encouragement to us is to not merely look to this future event, not merely look to the day in which we're going to raise up to life again. Not merely look at these things, which these things are good to look at, but to look at Jesus Christ himself. Jesus doesn't say, look forward to the resurrection. Jesus Christ says, he himself, I am the resurrection and the life. Continually, continually seek after the Lord. Continually pursue the Lord, for he is our life. He is our resurrection. He is the one in whom we ought to see. And eternal life, eternal life, he's not only the resurrection, but he's also the life. He's also the eternal life. He's also the fullness of life. Today is the day in which we can experience that eternal life. We do not have to wait until the day we die and say, hey, look, we have life. But Jesus says today we can experience this life.
So Jesus Christ, last week, we understood that he was the good shepherd, and um, he made that analogy in Uncans this week. We understand that this resurrection, him saying, I am the resurrection and the life, is centered upon this storyline in which he raises Lazarus back up to life again. And I pray that we all look forward to the day when Jesus Christ raises us back to life again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, to be this resurrection, to be this life, Lord, that we have not had. Lord, apart from Jesus, Lord, you said, your word says that we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. Lord, we have, we were blind, Lord, going our own direction. But Lord, we give you thanks. We give you thanks, Father, that Jesus indeed is the resurrection and he is indeed the life. We pray, Lord, that you will please allow us to ground our hope in these truths, that we will not live for the temporal world, that we will not live for the things of this earth, but that we would live for you, for your glory, and for your kingdom. We ask these things in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.